Chapter 11 of Ruffles and Danny, or The Responsibility of Ruffles, by Marjorie Watson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11. When Dad did return, with the good news that the house was saved, Ruth was a trifle surprised, after Danny's first look of pleasure, to see a shade of disappointment sweep over his expressive features but his father's next remark brought instant relief to whatever thought had so suddenly sobered him, which remark was to the effect that it was a puzzle to imagine how two women ever managed to live under their present circumstances, that they looked thin and ill-fed, and he wondered how it would be possible to give two women like that an impetus to achieve greater things. Danny now paid his whole attention to the business of dinner which Dewey was serving. He ate with his accustomed appetite, but by the time the last spoonful of dessert was swallowed, his eyes were heavy with sleep. "'Son, let's go take a nap. The morning's exercise has made me sleepy.' Saying which, Mr. Sanderson swung Danny to his shoulder and marched off upstairs, leaving Ruth to her own devices." Should she stay at home and just be lazy, or should she take a book, go over to the beach, and bask in the sun and the sand? She picked up from the table, in the living room, Hopkinson Smith's Peter, walked to the piazza rail, and let her glance rove up and down the picturesque banks of the river. Her decisions were never long in the making, and now, after scanning both shores, she tucked Peter firmly under her right arm and sallied forth. To get to the beach from the point where they were, it was necessary to walk back to the bridge and then practically retrace one's steps on the other side of the river. That's another thing we must have, she thought, a boat to go over and back, for this is a waste of time. It's quite a long way around. For a wonder, the air was still. There was a brooding, sunny silence all about. Ruth appeared to be the only human being in sight. She was always very much alive, wide awake, keenly interested in all nature. I wonder, she thought, if I could find any clay along the river. I'd like to make a model of the entrance and doorway of the frost house some day. I'll follow along the river bank and see. All went well as long as she was on their own side but after crossing the bridge, had she continued on up to the road, as was the custom of pedestrians, she would have seen a sign announcing that trespassing was forbidden. So, all unconsciously, she was disobeying a mandate. She found a spot where she was quite sure she could get the clay at low tide, but concluded she would come over one morning with a suitable receptacle for it. Then she bent her steps in the direction of the beach, and with the swinging stride of a mountain climber, was making good time. Swishing through the sedges, she startled a blue heron, and stood to watch its flight. Then on again, and it was some time before she realized the soil was getting spongy. But she plodded on. Finally, standing on one foot, she lifted the other to see if she was getting uncomfortably wet. This is rather bad, she concluded, I'd best be looking about me to pick and choose my footing. But matters were getting worse instead of better. With each step, she was finding it difficult to pull her feet out, and had she worn low shoes instead of high boots, they would certainly have been lost in the mud. 
the longest way round next time for yours truly she thought the very next step was calamitous she simply couldn't pull her foot out whenever she leaned to one side endeavoring to loosen the other foot the one she bore her weight on sank still deeper the mud was up to the tops of her boots now and slowly very slowly she felt them being sucked still deeper she tried to brace herself with her hands but they too would sink in she tried pulling herself by the sedges there was no solid thing on which she could get any purchase to help raise herself looking swiftly all around she found it was no use to call for help for there was no one in sight and the fish houses not far off were apparently deserted then she had a brilliant thought peter the book was still tucked under her arm opening it in the middle she laid it flat down and with both hands spread out upon it made an almost superhuman effort and slowly but surely one after the other was able to extricate her feet this was a slow way of progressing but by means of repeating this operation she finally got to where the footing was possible once more with dismay she surveyed her feet legs and skirts the book too was soaked and dripping and warped my but i'm a tragedy she exclaimed and little she knew what a narrow escape from real tragedy she had just experienced for she had been in quick mud and peter always gallantly ready to serve others had really saved her life after the deluge what she asked herself with the quizzical expression that always brought out her dimples i'll have to change my mind about basking in the sun for i have no desire to bake into a mud cast although strange to relate i have met nobody on the way i have a distaste to going back over the road and running any chances in that direction i must try and bribe somebody to row me back dripping mud at every step she walked to the fish houses to see if by chance there might possibly be someone around a corner although she could see nobody she thought she heard a whistle where is the boy she puzzled for getting nearer she distinctly heard all the notes of the popular air of the day every little movement has a meaning all its own every thought and feeling by some gesture can be shown the fish houses were built to overhang the river with just a narrow planking on the river side where the fishermen landed the fish from the boats alongside it so happened that after luncheon richard huntington had sauntered down here to smoke his cigar and was sitting on this planking his knees drawn up and hands clasped about them idly speculating on the possibilities of the place also as to which house his new acquaintances might be living in and thoroughly enjoying the soft dreamy air of the whole place now i'm getting warm said ruth in a self-congratulatory tone for at last she placed the source of the whistle to her satisfaction as coming from the rear of the middle fish house and in her usual breezy way expecting to find a boy with a fish line she stepped briskly round the corner of the house unfortunately the planking was narrow and the apparition confronting her was so utterly unlike her expectations that she took a step backward a little too far to the right lost her balance and fell with a splash into the river below 
"'Good Lord!' ejaculated Richard. There was no time for anything else but a frantic effort to find a rope or an oar. His quick instinct told him this was better than jumping in himself, and sure enough, a good coil of rope lay close at hand. He did not know, although he might easily have surmised, that Ruth was a strong swimmer. She covered the distance to a dory moored nearby without an effort, and was pulling herself up over the rail just as he reached over with the rope. He had thrown himself flat to get a better reach with both hands, and found himself gazing down at a merry, upturned face. Ruth, shaking the water from her hair and eyes, merrily laughed at his astonished face and comical position. Then she coolly announced that as long as she was in, she might as well wash off some of the mud. She proceeded to place herself in the stern of the dory, where she could conveniently dangle her legs in the water. "'My dear young woman,' declared Richard, with clerical solemnity, "'your worst enemy could never accuse you of being bromidic.' "'That's all right,' she acquiesced with a hearty peal of laughter. "'But anyway, I consider we are even now, although if it had not been for the fact that I needed a bath,' you would be slightly in my debt according to my judgment. Richard swung himself up to a sitting posture and relit his cigar. Providence seems to have ordained that we become acquainted, he insinuated, albeit her method of introduction is slightly unconventional and a trifle violent. I judge you had been clamming. Did you have any luck? Ruth now unfastened the painter, picked up an oar in the bottom of the dory, stood up, and with her sweetest smile, assured him that she was really very sorry for having disturbed his meditations and interrupted his cigar. As for the clams, she said, I only found one stuck in the mud, and I did have some difficulty in getting it out. Then with a little nod and a strong sweep of the arms, Using the oar as a paddle, she headed the dory toward her own side of the river. Illusion number three, mentally tabulated by our friend Richard, who took no shame to himself for following Ruth with his eyes. The wet, clinging garments revealed the lithe, girlish figure full of strong curves and trained by right living. You won't find that kind on a hotel piazza, he mused and once more he fell into a position of indolent physical enjoyment. Anyway, he would give himself the satisfaction of seeing where she went. So he watched her through the slight haze of his own cigar smoke till she landed, secured the dory, and wended her way through the pine grove to the house on the point. Ah, was all the comment he made. He flicked the end of the cigar into the river, rose, shook himself, then stopped to pick up a hitherto unnoticed and neglected, very dilapidated-looking book. He opened it. Peter, hmm, and with it returned to the hotel. End of chapter 11